Welcome to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. My name is Luke Johnson. I'm a corporate reporter in Houston, and this is the latest installment of an ongoing series where we look at some of the strategic trends shaping the energy sector. Today, we're talking about crude and products markets in the U.S. and what we should expect amid the current turmoil in those markets. And to do that, we have with us Abhi Rajendran, the Director of Energy Intelligence's Research and Advisory Unit. How's it going, Abhi? It's going good. Interesting times. Thanks for having me. And we've also got Franz Koster on the line, one of our market reporters based in New York. Thanks for joining us, Franz. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. So um, as we all know, this has been quite a tumultuous time for crude markets for any number of reasons. And the latest, of course, being the recent impacts of the COVID-19 coronavirus um, on demand and just kind of overall market sentiment. And we'll get into all that. But just to kick us off, Abby, um, you guys in RNA recently reduced the house outlook for global crude and supply demand in 2020. Um, so can you tell us just how the outlook has changed from January and what the main factors were in kind of how we see the market now? Sure. Um, yeah. And, you know, we've kind of made a couple of revisions already over the course of this year. Um, our latest kind of cut uh, as a firm um, on both the supply and demand sides, um, you know, especially on the demand side, I mean, that's that's kind of the focus now, right? Um, the, the latest out- outlook calls for about 600,000 barrels a day of demand growth this year. Um, you know, one Q is going to be really tough. Uh, we see that down, you know, nearly a million barrels a day um, year over year versus one Q of last year. Uh, you know, we have two Q for now, you know, sort of modestly up as, as, as things start to pick up, um, you know, in the second half, largely unaffected now, and you kind of add all those together, it calls for, you know, an average growth number of 600,000 barrels a day. Um, but those, you know, the, the skew to that, you know, especially as the virus sort of spreads to, you know, to, to Europe, to Middle East, and, and potentially threatens other regions is, is to the downside on the demand side, for sure. So how much is the coronavirus kind of already baked into the latest numbers? I mean, like, it, it sh- should we pretty, pretty well expect a further reduction, um, you know, if this thing does turn into like an actual pandemic? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And, and you know, the, the focus for now and, and, and the market has, has largely been centered around, you know, China and, and, and kind of the, the neighboring region, right? Um, and so, you know, we, you know, had, had certainly baked in a fairly sizable impact to China, um, you know, to East Asia, Southeast Asia, um, even kind of trickling into South Asia. Uh, but we did have, you know, kind of things, you know, returning, you know, slowly back towards, you know, whatever you want to call normalized levels over the course of the second quarter, um, and even an improvement kind of starting in, in March, right? But, um, you know, but I think especially as as the, you know, the outbreak kind of accelerates in South Korea, as you have um, in Japan, uh, kind of more companies, you know, f- you know forcing folks to, to work from home and, and schools being shut and other, you know, kind of transport, um, you know, being hit. Uh, I think certainly, you know, the, the you know, like I said earlier, um, the risk to even our numbers are, are to the downside. Um, you know, we are kind of very much in kind of, you know, wait and see mode at the moment. Uh, things are moving fast. Um, but, you know, you know, if you told us right now, you know, if you were to kind of make a further adjustment, it would, it would be, you know, kind of, again, trimming more to the downside um, and that effect kind of spilling over into the second quarter. Um, you know, and certainly, you know, what we would need to watch also is, you know, how is this kind of impacting business activity in, in Europe? 
um, in the Middle East um, and, and in other regions because you know the, that contagion effect can, can can certainly add to further downside risk. Mm. So Franz, just sticking with demand here, uh, you know, coming into 2020, the story was much more about the expected supply slowdown, at least in the U.S. Um, but as climate and now these virus fears continue to dominate the headlines, there there seems to be an increasing downside risk, as, as Abi said, to the actual demand expectations. So how are the markets dealing with this? And what are kind of the short and long term implications of the slowing demand? Well, you can see how the markets are dealing with it in several different ways. Uh, one of the ways is that people are purchasing uh, downside protection on the so-called paper markets. So oil volatility is going up. Uh, obviously, you've seen a massive impact on WTI prices. Uh, you've seen the forward curve for WTI in contango and widening contango at times, which allows for storage. Uh, and then on sort of a more physical side, uh, you've seen refiners really ramp their throughput and utilization activity lower. Now, to a degree, that's seasonal. You always have seasonal maintenance around this time. But it is noteworthy that seasonal maintenance at the end of last year and early last year was very, very heavy. Refinery utilization was already lower year on year in 2019. And so far, it appears to be lower again. Uh, to a degree, that's also because of unplanned refinery outages. But a lot of this is, as some refining personnel said during their uh, quarterly investor earnings calls, when you have a low margin environment and low crack spreads and pressure on demand, maybe you opportunistically bring forward some projects that you had scheduled for later in the year and you try to wait it out. Um I think that there's a good chance that you'll also see uh, lower export volumes, especially to the Asia Pacific uh, going forward from the United States. Now, as for the short and long term implications, uh, the short term implications are that if you get a resolution to this situation uh, heading into the second half of the year and the so-called peak summer driving season, uh, you're going to have a situation where because of lower refinery utilization, you'll have lower inventories of gasoline and other refined fuels. And because of lower outright prices, uh, maybe you get something of a very robust driving season, a hike up in demand and crack spreads really start to recover and uh, bring on some steam. But the other longer term implication is the worry that coronavirus and the effects on demand have served as a catalyst. You know, there's a lot of talk about the United States having essentially reached peak oil demand, especially in terms of gasoline, uh, possibly in terms of diesel, as uh, as cars get more efficient, as industries switch from diesel to other fuels, such as natural gas. You can see that in trucking, uh, where more trucks are starting to run on compressed natural gas. So that's a longer term implication. Has this possibly hastened the energy transition? And as far as that goes, only time will tell, but there's a good chance it has. And and do we have a sense about just how much of, you know, the recent demand destruction will be permanent in 2020 and, you know, how much could snap back? I mean, you mentioned, uh, you know, a, a, spi a potential spike in you know, U.S. driving season. But in terms of like jet fuel demand and, uh, you know, th things like that, like trips that are probably pu put off permanently, like how, how big of an impact is that going to have? You know, I was speaking to a uh, an airline guy recently, and he was a little confused 
as to why people are interpreting this as a major long-term blow to airlines. Uh, his view was that as fuel prices sink like a stone, tickets are going to get cheaper. And while, yes, the Lunar New Year only happens once a year, obviously, and you don't get that back, uh, as far as jet is concerned, you could easily see a snapback in demand as people take advantage of lower ticket prices and lower fuel costs and have some more opportunistic vacations. To what degree that is going to offset the impact of losing the Lunar New Year in China with all of the incredibly high volume traffic that that brings, I don't know. I don't think that... I don't think that you're going to recover all of this. However, there's a possibility that you do see during the second half of the year uh, higher than originally anticipated consumption as a result of the lower prices heading into that time period. You know, demand can be elastic in terms of fuel costs. And Luke, I think I think just one thing to add to that. I mean, I think you know the 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 counter argument to that is. You know, are are you know, it, it, does normal kind of price elasticity really kind of factor in with, with people kind of being cautious from a health perspective, right? And 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 also, you know, you have, you know, pretty meaningful loss of business travel um, over the near term. Um, you know that you know that doesn't automatically necessarily just get made up later on, um, because people are just going to find you know substitutes to to to, to take care of those. Um, you know, how excited are people going to be to, to kind of get on cruises and things like that, you know, anytime soon, right? So, um, so, so there's definitely, you know, kind of a, you know, uh, you know counter arguments to, to, to that. Um, and, and I also, and also just, just one more thing to add. I mean, I think, you know, th- you know, there, there will be sort of some, you know, maybe kind of just uh, push out of, of, of pent up demand from, you know, not, not from like, you know, transport use, but, you know, from industrial and manufacturing use, right? So that, that is one thing to kind of keep an eye out for, um, you know, whenever, um, you know, manufacturing, business activity, things like that, um, you know, start to uh, normalize again, especially um, centered on Asia. And so uh, just what about some like a, a broader look at kind of the products market? I mean, obviously, the coronavirus is, is the big news, but, you know, we're still like IMO 2020 is, is taking hold and there, there are other sort of uh, dynamics at play in, in the products markets. What else should we be looking at? Well, IMO 2020 is indeed taking hold, but unfortunately, uh, it turned out to be something of a dud and has been overshadowed by the effects of the coronavirus. One interesting thing that IMO 2020 has done in the products market, at least in the United States, is uh, you've seen the crack spread in the margin for high sulfur fuel oil, the form of fuel that was essentially displaced by IMO, uh, actually strengthen. And the the factors behind that are twofold. Uh, For one thing, people are producing much less high sulfur fuel oil, in part because there's lower available quantities of high sulfur heavy crude, and in part because the biggest industrial demand sector for that shipping no longer really wants it. Uh, However, another aspect of this is that refiners in the United States, amid the crunch of uh, heavy sour crude feedstocks, have started buying up quite meaningful volumes of HSFO, and they're running it through their crude distillation units in lieu of heavy sour crude. Now, that is an opportunistic play based on differentials, but up until quite recently, uh, refiners appeared to think that it made sense to do that. And so you saw a considerable strengthening of the HSFO crack. Um, but 
like I said, coronavirus is really overshadowing a lot of this. Uh, you also had tier three sulfur specifications for gasoline. Uh, there were some worries that this was going to be disruptive in the market, especially in terms of people buying offsetting credits for that if they weren't able to blend to specification. This does not appear to have happened. Focus is almost entirely on coronavirus. Obviously, jet fuel took the biggest hit, but as industrial activity continues to slide, you're starting to see it in diesel as well. Interesting. So, Abi, uh, getting back to crude specifically, where does all this leave OPEC ahead of their meeting uh, in just a couple of weeks, early March? Uh, I mean, what strings do they have left to pull to try to su- support crude prices or have these recent developments kind of expose the limitations of OPEC's influence? Yeah, no, it's a good question. Um, and, and by the way, the, the meeting is literally a week from today. So, um, you know, unfortunately, you know, OPEC was kind of, you know, behind the curve in their analysis on the, the demand impact of this. Of all the kind of the demand revisions you saw over the last sort of two to three weeks, um, you know, they, they had kind of the, the most, uh, you know, limited, um, you know, uh, negative revision on demand. Um, so that in and of itself, you know, kind of put them in a, you know, in a problematic position to start off with. Um, then on top of that, you know, you you really don't have kind of the, the same message coming out from kind of the Gulf countries, Saudi, um, UAE, um, you know, Kuwait and some of the others um, versus Russia. Uh, Russia has kind of been dragging their feet all along. Um, and now, you know, what, you know, what you're seeing is kind of a second wave of, of, of negative demand uh, revisions. Right. So so going into the OPEC meeting, you know, in our view, they're they're pretty unprepared for, um, you know, one, you know, what sort of magnitude of, of, of a hit, you know, this is this is really having, um, and two, you know, pretty behind the curve in terms of getting all the parties on board, um, you know, even though you know at the very high level, uh, Saudi and Russia are sort of saying, hey, we want to kind of continue to collaborate and, and coordinate on this, um, so you know, it's definitely putting them in a in a challenging spot, um, you know, with, with their meeting, you know, kind of the, the discussion a week or two ago um, when the technical meeting meeting um, uh, concluded was that you know maybe they would talk about a six hundred thousand barrel a day cut collectively. In our view, that's just not anywhere close to enough. Um, and you know, even a even a million barrel a day cut, if they were to agree to that next uh, next next week for the second quarter, is likely probably not enough either. Kind of given where demand is headed and how um, you know the 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 impact is sort of spreading uh, around the world. So um, they are they're definitely you know behind the curve in terms of their response and. You know, that's, you know, kind of another challenge for for this market to deal with. Now, look, you know, Brent prices are about to slice through $50. So it it, it certainly sets, you know, uh, you know, a bigger fire, um, you know, in in, in that meeting. Um, And the other the other thing is, is, you know, do they even have the meeting physically in Vienna? I mean, even that is that is, um, you know, unclear at the moment. So, you know, that's that's another thing that, that the group has to contend with. Um, you know, one of your questions, Luke, was just kind of, you know, stepping back and thinking about their their capacity to cut and, and what is sort of their 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 threshold for cuts. Right. Um, you know, I think we were already sort of saying that the, the the group collectively was kind of you know close to the limits of how much they were they were going to be able to cut. Um, and so we certainly, um, you know, continue to see that as, 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 as being a challenge you have to work through. Uh, but the other thing to re- remember is that, look, this could be a pretty massive demand shock, right? Um, you know, not to make comparisons to 0809, but this could be a, you know, a million plus barrel a day demand shock for, you know, multiple quarters. And so, you know, this could, you know, certainly trigger some emergency type response mechanisms for OPEC, but, you know, again, they are nowhere close to, you know, that sort of a discussion for next week. 
Um, so, you know, an- another sort of tough variable for, for the oil market to deal with. Mm. So just to wrap up uh, quickly here, uh, let's just talk briefly about uh, what kind of corporate impact we see from all this. I mean, our EMP firms already had plenty on their plates in 2020, but I don't think a potential global pandemic was on a lot of people's radar. Um, but, you know, here we are with crude prices and equity prices both taking a hit. Uh, so what what options does an EMP company really have in this environment? Yeah, no, it's a good, it's it's a great question. Um, you know, this the sell off has been, you know, literally for four days now, right? So, um, and I just spent the last three days down in Houston, you know, meeting a whole bunch of folks, and um, you know, there is going to be no kind of immediate adjustment to to outlooks and forecasts. Um, but you know, h- how that does shift, you know, really depends on one the the magnitude of of, of this downdraft for equities, commodities, oil. Um, um, and 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 also, um, you know, for for the the bond side of it too, right? You know, the high yield index. How bad does that get? Um, and not just the magnitude, but also the duration. Because if this lasts, you know, two three months plus, I mean, there's no question that you're going to have to, you know, have you know downward revisions further from you know from corporates. Um, and by the way, I mean, you're 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 already starting to see some of the challenges pop up, like you said, you know, even before this, um, in in you know fringe. Uh, basins, um, in the fringe parts of the Bakken, Eagleford, um, Anadarko Basin, and certainly on the gas side for, for you know for Appalachia and in other areas, um, you know, it, it, an exacerbated situation um, because of the pandemic, um, you know, will will kind of lead to to, to to more downside and more negative revisions, and and I would I would say it's not a stretch to think that um, that even the Permian will get impacted um, by these recent developments. Hmm. Okay, well, um, that's all really interesting stuff, but I think that's all we have time for today. Um, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on all this stuff. Uh, thanks a lot, Abby. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And thank you, Franz. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Energy Intelligence Podcast. Please check back with us soon for our latest content, which you can find at energyintel.com. Mm-hmm.